Hi, everybody, and welcome to You Don't Want to Know, the podcast. All right. Hi, guys. Welcome to my podcast. You know, because I already said what it was. I am so excited. I feel like it's been years since I've made an episode. It's only been two weeks and some change. Apologizing for that right now. I know it's like the witching hour of the week that I put it out. It's Saturday morning. Here I am. But I have a great story I'm going to tell you. It's very short and sweet. But if I would have put this episode out earlier, you guys wouldn't get it until next week. And normally I just forget (laughs) my little stories. So you probably wouldn't have even heard it. I went out last night with my friends and I am sitting at this bar. All of a sudden, freaking Barnacle Boy walks in. You know, like Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. And I look and point because I'm so bold. <laughs> I point and I go, is that Barnacle Boy? <laughs> and he goes, no, this is Caleb. And it's my one of my really good friends. Like I randomly ran into him. <laughs> it's great for two reasons. First reason, well, a bunch of reasons. First reason is because... SpongeBob. Can't go wrong. Love it. Second, it's my friend Caleb. So he heard me because I guess I was very loud and obnoxious last night. He heard me say, is that Barnacle Boy? And then he goes, no, this is Caleb. And third reason, it makes me think of SpongeBob, the episode where Patrick picks up the phone and they go, is this the Krusty Krab? And he goes, no, this is Patrick. Oh my gosh. Nothing about that moment could have changed to make it better. It was so great. So there you go. There's that awesome story from last night that you get because I'm recording late. So sorry about it, but it's fine. Okay. So I don't know if you guys have been um, watching the Instagram, but I have been failing, but trying hard to post a movie every single day of the month of October, like a spooky movie. And I posted The Pope's Exorcist, which I watched recently. It was on Netflix. I'm going to turn this thing down. This is so loud. But, oh, that's up. Whoa. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. I I just realized as I was going into podcasts that I watched two Russell Crowe movies in a row. So I feel like I'm kind of like in a theme without even realizing it. So The Pope's Exorcist is about this dude. Um, I'm not Catholic, so I don't really know the correct terminology, but he's like a father, I think is his official title, but it could be something different. Um, he's The Pope's Exorcist. See, when I first saw this movie come out, like however long, I think it was like a year ago, I thought it was like the exorcism of a pope. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I guess... These are what I would imagine very, 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 one more, very loosely based on a real life story because there's books out. I don't know. But basically what happens is this family moves across seas. They're from America originally into this abbey or something like that. I don't really know. I don't understand anything. It's a big building. It's old. So they're trying to kind of um, reutilize it or revitalize it into like a newer building and then sell it because they don't have any money. And then they unleash this demon or whatever. And I don't know, things just go wrong per usual. And (laughs) at first I was like, oh my gosh, 
a good scary movie. These never happen anymore. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm wrong. This is not a good scary movie. So there's a point in this movie where a little kid, because it's always a little kid, a little kid gets possessed and he's just he just wants the pope or not the pope the father that russell crowe's playing the quote-unquote father not like a father uh, the father (laughs) Um, so the demon is talking to this little boy and he goes um give it give up or give it to me or something like that and russell crowe just goes no he runs away and instantly my mind goes to like a mom telling a kid to like drop it or give me the toy or let it go and the kid just goes no and runs away that's exactly what it sounded like i found that movie so bad that i laughed like normally i get upset or just kind of emotionless when i watch a bad movie no i laughed at this movie it was laughably bad it just tried too hard like there was another point where the sister, like, uh, they, the rooms that they shared, there was, like, a bathroom in the middle to separate the two rooms, the boy and the girl. <laughs> and she heard, I think it was, like, a the da-da-da-da knocking, you know? And so she's like, oh, where could that come from? So she had to go in the bathroom, and she heard it again. She's like, oh, my gosh, where's it coming from? So she had to go into the little boy's room. And I don't remember what happened that made her scream, but it was not... I repeat, it was not worth that reaction. It was not scary enough for the reaction that she had. But for some reason, she had to go in the little boy's room. And then she just like starts screaming and freaks out and like slams the door. None of it was scary. None of it made sense. And the mom just was so oblivious to everything. She's just not caring. I don't know. And they made it so clear that he was possessed like instantly. And she's like, no, he's just sick. We need to take him to the hospital at all and it's like come on this is this is a joke it was just so bad so I feel like I'm owed money after watching that because it was so bad so please don't watch that movie for my sake please 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 don't watch that movie save yourself I'm it's too late for me I'm gone I'm done I did it you cannot watch it and be okay with your life. I have to live with the fact that I sat down and I watched that movie. I actually couldn't sit down and watch it for the whole time because I just couldn't put myself through that. So I had to cut it up. Wow, I feel so bad. What a mean thing to say. Somebody probably put their heart and soul into that movie. I'm sorry. Just find, switch careers. Just maybe, maybe do like spoofy movies. Maybe that's your call. Because that was, if that was a spoofy movie, boom, nailed it. Perfect. But if that was legitimate, it was no good. No good. I'm sorry. So yeah, don't. Don't watch it. Sorry, guys. I'm excited though. Tuesday's Halloween. I am either going to see Exorcist, uh, Believer, I think it's called, or Saw. And I don't like gore, guys. So this is going to be a big step for me. I watched the Spiral movie with Chris Rock. I don't know why Chris Rock was so mad the whole time, but he was mad that entire movie. <laughs> And I also watched Saw 2 because I heard that was the best one and I was able to watch it. So I have hope. The needles kind of freaked me out, but I have hope. Okay, so let's get to the um, calendar, the true crime calendar. January 19th. What a great day, I think. 
this one is titled Survivor Story, Paul Martin Andrews, The Boy in the Deer Box. So actually, I read this with B in the last podcast, and it said that he died, um, the last boy that we read about, but she said she looked into it and he lived. So he went through all that and lived. So congratulations. I, I don't, I really don't know what to say to that, but he lived. So this is, um, Paul Martin Andrews, the deer, the boy in the deer box. Sorry. Part two, a daring escape. Oh my gosh. Okay. So maybe I read it wrong. So this is the same kid on January 19th, 1973, Andrew heard a truck by drive by the deer box. He screamed as loud as he could. A hunter came over to the box, pointed his rifle at the door and demanded that Andrew come out. Andrews explained he was chained in the box and the hunter opened it and found a boy bloodied and bruised. Andrew identified Pee Wee. Oh yeah, Pee Wee. That's the guy's name. AKA Richard Osley from the police photos. Osley had served 10 years in prison for kidnapping, imprisoning and abusing another child. And he was due in court on another child molestation charge the same day he abducted Andrews. Oh my gosh, this guy's disgusting. Osley was sentenced to 48 years for the kidnapping and rape of Andrews. In 2002, Andrews told his story for the first time at Ozzy's Osley's uh, parole hearing. Osley's was denied and he was killed by his cellmate in t- prison two years later. Andrews continues to tell his story in hopes of protecting children from what happened to him. Wow. What an incredible story. I don't, I feel like it said, or I read that he died, but I mean, obviously that's not true. So awesome. So happy for Andrews. Horrible, horrible thing to go through. Terrifying, but he made it out. So that's awesome. All right. And then my favorite part, I don't know if you guys like it, but I love it. welcome that's more for me though okay wow that took a lot longer than i was expecting sorry guys let's get to the real reason why we're here the blubber of the podcast let's get uncomfortable and talk about the life and the horrible roller coaster and series of tragic events and bullying to be quite frank that was Christine's Belford's last couple years. Belford's couple years, sorry. Belford is how you say it. So on February 11th, 2013, an unnamed gunman, we're just jumping right in, guys, uh, goes into a courthouse and shoots two women and then takes his own life. He injures a couple other people, but he once he realizes he's not getting out, he can't do anything else, he decides to take his own life. Uh, later, they found in the footage of the courthouse that he had a white SUV, he put it in the parking garage, but two people exited the vehicle and they eventually found that second man. Um, they also found a hit list in the vehicle and Timothy Hitchings was on that list. Two of or the two women that were murdered, one was Christine Belford, unf- Belford sorry, unfortunately, and the other one was her friend, Beth, who was going to court with her today. She was in court for um, like custody hearing. Timothy ha- uh, Hitchings was her lawyer. So obviously this whole thing was centered around Christine. So they called Detective Schreiner, or I should say, he gets a call and comes into the courthouse to kind of be running the scene. 
And once he sees who is killed and who is on the list, he knew exactly what was going on because this wasn't just a one-time thing, quick event. It was an entire nightmare. Honestly, nightmare to what was really happening. But he knew exactly who was behind this. So going way back, way in the way back machine or whatever they call it, there was a man and a woman, David and Christine. They had met at David's optometry practice in Newark, Delaware. They had both been married before. Christine was 24 and she had a daughter, Katie. David was 31 and he had no children. I was just going to say that again. Um, David and Christine got married in 2001. So not too long after they met, they moved to Milton, New Jersey. And uh, when Katie was six, Christine had three more kids, kind of barely spaced out, but not like boom, boom, boom. It was Laura, Leah, and Karen. I think it went uh, Karen, Leah, Lauren in that order for oldest to youngest. So the exact opposite of what I said. (laughs) Uh, In between having those three girls, David, uh, so his parents, I think they were in Texas, or no, excuse me, they were in Delaware originally, and they were selling their house and didn't have a place to go while they were looking because they wanted to be closer to the kids. Um, The, I think the parents' names were um, Lenore and Thomas were the names, and they had another daughter, Amy, but she didn't have any kids. So they just want to be closer to their grandkids, which is understandable. So David offered them to move into their house in the time they needed to kind of search for a home, which Christine was not super excited about, which is completely fair in my opinion. But she put up with it and she was like, okay, they can move in. She had a good attitude. Um, uh, that turned into 10 months. Yeah, 10 months. Uh, Christine could not take it anymore. She didn't want it in the first place, so she finally kicked them out, and all of they had a house lined up or ready to go. So you could tell they just didn't want to leave. But they got the house, and they still came over all the time and basically drove her crazy. She thought that David's parents were the worst, and even Katie, or Christine's daughter, Katie, did not like them. She just... It was very clear that Katie, which was Christine's daughter, which is, I should say, Christine's daughter who came in into that marriage um, before, what am I trying to say, guys? (laughs) Sorry. She was not David's blood daughter. So it was very clear that they were only interested in the three daughters that were actually David's, which is a horrible thing in my opinion. It's just so sad. So eventually Christine and David got divorced in 2006 They went into court for custody to just kind of get all that figured out. And I guess I I didn't know this. You have to get a psych evaluation when you do the custody hearings. And Christine came out normal. She basically said, like, I want my kids to be safe and happy and live good lives. But then David came around and they diagnosed or said that he had stress. He had anxiety. He had depression. And get this, guys. He's at risk for losing touch with reality. Yeah, super, super great. (laughs) But they were like, you know what? That's fine. Because aren't we all like the world's crazy? This is just who we are. We're all living in a fantasy. You can still have half custody. And honestly, it's probably more than half. He ended up getting weekdays and Christine got weekends with weekday visits. So pretty close to half in David's favor, even though he's like, in another world or pretty close to being in another world. 
So even though he got like a good chunk of custody, the grandparents were not happy about it at all. And they thought that Christine shouldn't have really any custody for some reason. So on August 26th of 2007, Christine allows her ex-husband, David, David Matuzowicz is his name, his last name, to take her kids to Disney World for two weeks because like what kind of mom would say no to that? He actually got a Winnebago and he was taking the grandma with his mom. So off they went and two weeks later, nothing. No girls, no David, no Winnebago, nothing. So they asked Thomas Matuswitz, which is David's dad, where's your kid? Where's your wife? Where's my grandkid? Or where's my daughters? And he's like, I don't know. I said they were in Disney World. And she's like, well, they were supposed to be back now. And he's just not helpful at all. Not at all. So Christine does the right thing and goes to the police. And she uh, gets in touch with the... Wow. Detective Schreiner and reports the girls missing or kidnapped. And at first the detective's like, you know what? It's just one of those things where the dad just wants to spend as much time as possible with his girls. He's just showing up late. It's not a big deal. But then Christine, she kind of shows him some stuff that makes him change his mind. She tells him about how tough the, um, the divorce was. He also tries to get a hold of David and got no contact at all. And she shows him the pa- case paperwork of David calling her bipolar and unfit and abusive towards the kids. And this is what is kind of annoying. You can be bipolar. Like that's not like a lot of people have that. Um, I think it's a mental disease. It's considered a mental disease. Um, but a lot of people have that and live their day to day life easily. So that was stupid. But this was 2007. So it was kind of uh, people just didn't understand that stuff. So he accused her of that and just he tried to have her committed. So these were all really big red flags for the detective. And he's like, OK, yeah, some fishy's going on. Let's get this investigated investigation started. So he looks into David's bank account and finds that his last transaction was the day that he took him to Disney World, August 26th. That was the last time he used his cards. So he put uh, put out a um, missing persons report and he basically knew like this is a kidnapping. David took the girls and is not planning to come back. We have to find him. So the police contacted the Border Patrol and they said that there was a guy that came by, um, not August 26th because it was a long drive, but sometime in that two weeks, a guy came and it was him and his grand or his uh, mother, excuse me, in a big Winnebago. And he handed the, the passports to the Border Patrol agent and he asked if there was anyone else in the vehicle. And David said, no, just me and her, two passports. But the agent heard little girls laughing in the back. So I'm not really sure why he didn't want to like ask him why he was lying or see their passports because it specifically said he just got the two. So I'm not really sure. But either way. Oh, and sorry, that was August 28th that he crossed the border. So the police start searching his house and they actually found evidence of bank accounts in Canada. Canada, Canada and New Zealand. He also sold that medical practice that I t- talked about in the beginning um, for 6,500 
or excuse me, actually $650,000, which was the Vision Center. He also took out a loan under Christine's name for $249,000. So a pretty decent chunk of change. That'll get you, that'll get you somewhere. This was insane and the police were very worried when they found these numbers because he already had money and all this extra money is just ridiculous so he is like planning to never come back essentially that's what the police are thinking and they're like we have to go get this done it's already been two weeks they've been gone for that long we gotta go roughly a month after the girls had gone missing david's dad thomas and the sister amy moved to ed couch texas which is roughly 20 miles from the border. Not suspicious at all. Not at all. Super, super natural, you know. No biggie. Just moving close to the border, which our brother just crossed, my son just crossed, whatever. It becomes a legitimate nationwide manhunt. And the press, like news stations and the press are putting out this story there was a a segment on the news that david did like i think within a couple years before he did all these crazy things and it was just him talking about eyes so they played that segment for everyone saying this man did this and this all these years ago and now he's kidnapped his three daughters and is in mexico somewhere so keep your eyes out so people were looking for this guy eventually the u.s marshal gets a tip that david is hiding in Cerro Azul, I think is how you say it, which is close to Panama. So the police head out and they do not find him anywhere. No trace of David. He must have packed up and gotten out of there as soon as he could. But he was still using that passport. So the FBI were kind of getting tips here and there saying, oh, this was used here. This was used there. So they're following that and they head to Costa Rica and they could basically like smell him like obviously that's not true but they knew he was there and they they had found like traces of him and the freaking giant winnebago but they couldn't find him and he they just lost him at that point nothing 18 months go by so from the two weeks that they were supposed to come back 18 months got by Imagine being a mom and not being able to see your three daughters for almost two years. Horrible. In that time, there were a few tips and a few leads here and there, and Christine took everything. She would literally fly on a plane and go somewhere if it was a tip from somebody, but it half the time it wasn't true. But she still fought for those girls and never gave up. And eventually it paid off. So police were tapping, (laughs) um, taping is what I put, tapping Amy's phone. And she made a phone call to South America near Nicaragua. So people, the police were like, yep, that's, that has to be it. Why else would she call there? Why else? There's no reason. So they put out a, a press conference and say that they need to keep an eye out for this man and this woman. So the um, David and his mother and the three girls and like a 33, I think it was 33 foot Winnebago with Delaware plates. And eventually they found him, but not because someone gave a tip. There was like a routine traffic stop, I believe. And 
the police officer asked for license and registration, blah, blah, blah. And they realized it was David. He was going around town selling his daughter's things, which is horrible, but it was because he ran out of money. All of that money, he had spent it. And there was actually a picture, maybe I can find it, of like the little site that they were on. It was just like a plot of land. There was a truck there because obviously you're not going to drive that Winnebago all the time. And I think there was like a motorcycle or dirt bike in the back of it. And I'm like, okay, sell that, jerk. Like, Why are you selling your daughter's things to make money when you could get like a couple grand for that? So that like pissed me off when I found found out about it. But they arrested David because they realized who he was. And he was driving around with one of the daughters, Laura. And um, Christine came running. She came as fast as she could to pick up her daughters to see them for the first time in 18 months. 18 months. She found out that David actually told her daughters that she committed suicide. And that's basically like mom didn't love you enough and she killed herself so she's gone and obviously that's not true so those poor little girls were probably traumatized when they found out that for 18 months they had to live with thinking that their mom was gone so just horrible when she went to see the girls finally they were just in horrible condition they were all super skinny they had horrible cavities and one of the girls had pink eye in both of her eyes so they were not being taken care of. David pled guilty to one count of international parental kidnapping and um, a count of bank fraud because of taking the money out in Christine's name. So he was put in jail for four years. And uh, after those four years, it was a five-year probationary uh, sentence. Lenore got a charge of endangerment of a child and was sent to jail for 18 months. So while they were in jail, Christina went into go mode. Like there was no break time for her. She was like, we got to get these girls under my name and that's it. No one else can have them. We cannot do this custody thing. They have to be gone. On December 22nd of 2009, uh, 12 days after David was sentenced, he wrote this letter to his sister saying, quote, I'm done playing Mr. Nice Guy, dot, dot, dot. Lastly, or I guess there was probably other stuff. I only saw part of the letter. Lastly, if nothing changes during January, tip in, in quotes or in a, um, yeah, quotes, typically a low month for Christine, end quote, uh, people began making complaints anonymous, anonymously and repeatedly to DYFS, which I never figured out what that was. Ask redacted, 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 and then quote, the good Christine exclamation point, end quote. And anyone you trust to help. Also, make sure Redacted website is up and the true story is on it and it and is well publicized. Sorry, I can't help from in here, dot, 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 end quote. So I'm assuming he was saying that you need to report Christine to like the agencies and we'll find out more about the website in the story. So keep keep listening, guys. That same month, a website was created called Grandmother's Impossible Choice. And the content, guys, is sickening. I don't even, I won't even tell you guys about it. If you are really curious, I think it's still up, but man, it's just disgusting. So, and it's all obviously not true. 
it's just so gross but it's supposedly written by Lenore but Lenore is in jail so how is Lenore going to write it's literally 29 paragraphs oh I just did something weird with the computer there we go 29 paragraphs of talking about this abuse that Christine supposedly gave her daughters and that's why they had to steal them away it's ridiculous and it, it's so upsetting but Lenore literally says like I wrote that it's me you're in jail and you're an old lady you don't know how to do this especially from jail I feel like you couldn't do it in normal time without someone's help let alone in jail so of course if you didn't guess it already her daughter was the one that wrote all this stuff because who else would do it she was basically Amy uh, David's sister was basically David's puppet and he was kind of pulling the strings from jail and telling her what to do and with the instructions she actually started printing out this website and sending it to people all around Christine where her kids went to school where she went to church and she also worked there as a teacher at that church and she actually chose to resign because she didn't want anything happening to the church, like their reputation being ruined or anything like that, because of all this madness that's going on. In March uh, 20th of 2011, a video is uploaded to YouTube and it's titled, Don't Hurt Me, Mommy. Someone is secretly filming Christine from the side of the road, like down the street. She lives in this neighborhood and she has her three daughters in the front yard and they're just kind of like playing around hanging out you know and one of the daughters keeps trying to play in the street so Christine's like no don't do that and grabbing her arms and kind of like walking her over and she's not having it one of the daughters you can't tell who it is and she's like going limp so Christine's like pulling her up and it's so clear what's happening for anyone that has kids or or has ever dealt with kids it's very clear what's happening but the video is edited so it looks like it's just all Christine pulling on these her daughter's arms and they're trying to make it seem like Christine is abusive hence the title don't hurt me mommy and it's horrible and it's just stupid if you really think that people are going to think Christine is hurting their daughter her daughters from that video it's ridiculous so even though all of these horrible terrible no good very bad things are happening to Christine she continues to fight. She even says, "Those they've come too far. We've all come too far. And her girls need her. So she will continue fighting this horrible, horrible battle. One day, Christine actually gets this message on Facebook from a lady. Her name is Cindy Bender. And she messages Christine saying that she's following the story and that she had actually dated David in the past. So she kind of knows what she's going through with the way he's acting and being crazy and just saying like, hey, if you ever need someone, I'm here. I am just, in case you need someone, I'm here. Like, I know you probably have other people, but I can be your venting person, whatever. And Christine actually kind of leaned on this girl, you know, she told her things that she probably didn't tell everyone else. And she looked at her as a friend. Well, one of her friends asked her about this because she was like typing one day and he's like, you don't know this person. You need to be careful. But she didn't really take too much stock in that. And she just 
used her to vent and kind of kept in touch with her and they became very friendly and just really good friends honestly throughout this whole process in december of 2011 the grandparents lenore and thomas just kind of randomly showed up at um christina's house without warning that's a 2000 mile drive because lenore got out of jail pretty recently she was in there for 18 months they lived in um to couch i think it was texas that was where thomas and amy moved to be close well for quote unquote no reason at all but to be close to the girls when they were being kidnapped but they drove because christine is back in delaware they drove all that way just to kind of randomly pop up even though they had no right to do that christine had full custody they were not allowed to do that and unfortunately christine wasn't home But luckily, her friend Gerald, and I believe it's like her boyfriend or her husband, I'm not exactly sure, he was. And they literally tried to take the girls, but he was able to stop them. This made Christine terrified. And this would make anyone terrified, honestly. Like, this is a very scary thing to think people are actively trying to steal my daughters, you know? So she constantly feels like people are just watching her, especially after that video. And even before that, she just felt like people were watching her as soon as the everything kind of got settled after the kidnapping. So she started setting up all these cameras around the house, just trying to make sure there was no way of anyone sneaking in without being seen. She also got German Shepherd dogs, which not a bad idea. She put bats in everyone's room and kept knives by her bed. It really didn't help the situation that David was going to be let out soon. So she was really trying to prepare for any possible scenario that could happen. She even came up with some escape plans for her daughter, daughters, I should say, basically like how to get out, where to go. Um, There was in through the master bedroom, there was like a little way to get out. So she was describing that and she always had to know where the girls were at every single moment. She never wanted them outside unless she knew exactly what was happening and basically was able to see them because she was so worried that he was just going to grab them and run, which honestly, I wouldn't put it past him because he is crazy. Everyone is so scared and Christine just decides it's time to move they know where I live. Clearly, they just showed up. We need to get out of here. So she posts the house on whatever you posted on in 2012 or 2011, um, whatever website you want, I guess. I don't know. And she's just looking for a house and she's still talking to Sydney, Sydney, keeping her updated. And the tricky thing is that Sydney, well, I guess I should say Sydney wasn't lying. She was uh, an ex of David, but she's an ex that did not get over him. She was sending all of this information, every single thing that um, Christine told her, she was sending to Amy, who was talking to her brother. And her brother was talking to Sydney, basically, I don't know if it's true or not, but saying that like he wanted to get with her and get back to with her all this crap so horrible 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 imagine having someone you trust and rely on just basically turn around and slap you in the face and be a complete lie that's just such a horrible feeling so on april 13th of 2012 david gets out of prison and moves to ed couch with his family on february 11th the day 
Christine got her kids ready for school and she's just crazy nervous because she has to go to the court hearing and her, her friend or boyfriend or husband, I never could find out, uh, Jerome or is it Jerome? What was it? Gerald. Whoops. Sorry. Gerald. Um, he asks, do you want me to go to the courthouse with you? And she says no. And that she already has a friend that's going to go with her. So she has the support she needs, but she's just really nervous. And this is this like scary, creepy, awful, disgusting thing. The day before all of this was happening. So it was February 10th. David says to Sydney, get ready to take care of three girls and be in charge of three girls. So she tries not to show that she's scared, but her oldest and her boyfriend know, slash husband, whatever he is, know that she's nervous. And But luckily, they know also that she's taking her friend Beth. So they meet at the courthouse, Beth and Christine, and they walk in together. As soon as they pass the metal detectors, a man pulls out a gun and shoots her in the chest. Christine and Beth are both killed, and two guards were shot and killed, or sh- were hurt, and the shooter turned the gun on himself and killed himself. Detective Strider was the detective on the scene, and as soon as he found out who was murdered and found out about the hit list, he knew there was only one person that could be behind it, and he assumed he knew who the shooter was. But then he found out he was wrong, because obviously he thinks it's David. It's Thomas, David's father. He's the one that killed Christine and Beth, wounded those guards, and then killed himself. So Detective Schreiner went into panic mode instantly. And he was like, okay, that's Thomas. Where's David? We need to make sure those girls are safe. So they start planning, try to figure out what to do. And the police find three daughters and put them into uh, protective safety custody. Wow. Why was that so hard to say? To say protective custody. David was actually in the courthouse and was found shortly after. So I don't know if you remember in the beginning, there were two men that had exited that, um, whatever you want to call it, sedan, whatever the SUV. So exact opposite of sedan, sorry. And he was at the courthouse. I don't know what his plan was being there, but he was at the courthouse. So he was able to be detained immediately saying that he had no idea that his father was going to do that. But also, when they told him that his father was dead, he was completely emotionless, didn't even react. So the police found that very suspicious. The police also bring in Lenore and Amy, who deny any involvement or any idea of that plan. The police end up searching, they end up searching the Matukowitz's house, and they find stacks and stacks of evidence quick side story. So I couldn't remember the last name of the Matukowitzes. So I paused and I was looking for it in my notes and I just start saying, he's got to have a name. What's his name? We got rid of the name. Another SpongeBob quote. So the theme of this podcast today is SpongeBob and Russell Crowe, I guess. So you're welcome for that. So where was I? Back to whatever I was talking about. Okay. So Back to the sad stuff. They found thousands and thousands of rounds of ammunition. They find a bunch of, I don't know if they're holsters for ammunition, but they're like belts where you can put bullets in. They found books on like killing people, which was was ridiculous stuff. And they found notes um, on the killing, 
pictures of Christine's house with like all of the cameras and the windows and the exits circled and just some very chilling stuff. So Amy here is she's just ready to go. So three or two days after February 13th, Amy files a petition for custody of the two girls to the courthouse that wasn't open. Why wasn't it open, guys? Oh, because the mother of the girls was just murdered. Murdered by who? Your father, Amy. Calm down. Just sit down, Amy. Sit down. You are doing too much. You are being ridiculous. Gosh, you are pissing me off, Amy. So on February 22nd, 21st, excuse me, Lenora goes on this podcast and it's also being recorded. So there's videos of it. And she's of course, talking about what happened, trying to defend her husband, saying that he had a tumor on a certain part of his brain that made him act differently. And he was acting differently for months. So it wasn't his fault that he murdered two people. It was the tumor's fault. Whatever. Okay. If it's really that big of an issue, go to the doctor. All right. She said that there was a tragedy in Delaware and people were hurt people died. People. People. Not your god granddaughter's mother, but no, just quote unquote people. And who murdered them? Your husband, Lenore. Your husband. Come on. But I guess like mother, like daughter or vice versa, whatever. She said that she wrote the report. Um, like the, they called it a report, but it was a website. But I'm just thinking like, how did you do it from jail? That makes no sense. You make no sense, Lenore. It's just, this video was just so upsetting. She said the only thing that Thomas was planning was, guys, get this. It was a Reuben party. There was no murder being planned. He was planning to have a Reuben party. And she's like, I got the, the corned beef and the sauerkraut right here. He, my husband loves to eat. Oh my gosh. Just shut up. Shut up, lady. I just can't take her. None of it makes sense. None of what she was saying makes sense. And it was all just so very clearly fake. She would like choke up a little bit and pretend to cry. And she'll just like put her hand on her face and grab tissue. But she never cries. Not a single tear is shed. And I know everyone grieves differently, blah, blah, blah. Grieve about your husband. Honestly, like I get that you didn't like Christine. Obviously, that's no reason to murder anyone ever. But at least, like, shut up, sit down, and cry about your husband killing himself, you know? Like, oh my gosh, lady. She just makes me so mad. Oh. <laughs> On August 19th, I gotta calm down, of 2013, Lenore and Amy are finally arrested for just being involved, very clearly being involved. June 11th, 2015. Yeah, 2015. Two years later, two years later, I hate how slow it is. The first case of cyber stalking ever is brought to court. And obviously it's the case we're talking about because why would I talk about it if it wasn't? (laughs) One piece of evidence that was brought into court was so incredibly disturbing that I had to share with you guys. It was the Lord's or the serenity prayer, excuse me, but with some minor tweaks, you know, no big deal. It said, Lord grant me with this serenity and serenity was highlighted to accept the things I cannot change. The courage also highlighted to change the things I can't 
and or excuse me changes the things i can and the wisdom window wisdom was highlighted and this resp all this part is highlighted as well the wisdom to hide the bodies of the people i had to kill because they pissed me off i feel like that's something like a middle schooler says it's so immature so stupid i hate them oh i can't stand them so all of the Matusiewiczes used the same defense, saying that Christine was an abusive mother and they were just trying to protect the girls. Here's the thing, guys. They never even contacted the police with this. So this is so very clear, very clearly a lie. And it's just a very weak case. Makes no sense. Now, I know I didn't really talk about Katie too much, but Katie goes to court. That's Christine's oldest daughter. And she testifies for her mother saying how afraid she was if that family got her three sisters, which also because of that horrible family, she hasn't seen her sisters in two years since the day she lost her mom. Obviously, the girls had to go in protective custody. So she basically lost her whole family which is horrible. So basically what's happening in court is the Matusiewiczes are saying, or I should say the Matusiewiczes defense are saying that Katie, Katie's mom, Christine, it was abusing those girls. And that's why they did what they did. What are you going to do? They have no evidence. Neither side really has evidence because how do you prove that? Well, you go to the source. So 13-year-old Laura, the oldest daughter, testifies. And you know what she says? She says it's all a lie. And that the Matusiewiczes are liars. They took her and their mother never did anything wrong. So Amy, David, and Lenore were all sent to prison. And that's it. I didn't really find too much information, I think, because they were minors. They didn't really put too much out. But David, Amy, and Lenore went to prison. Frickin' finally, after that nightmare. Unfortunately, the girls had to go on without their mother. But in an interview with Katie, she said that they all live for their mother. And Katie, oh my gosh, she looks exactly like her mother. It's so sweet. But... They are all living really good lives and they, Katie says that they all know trauma and they go look at life differently, but they're stronger because of it and they're strong girls. And I truly believe that they are very strong girls because of what they had to go through. It's unfortunate that, oh, wow, that was tough. It's unfortunate that they had to go through it, but they, instead of letting it be a crutch, they wear it on their sleeve and let people know that I'm strong because of this, which I think is beautiful. So that's the case of the horrible, hard couple months of Christine, the last couple months of Christine Belford's life. Well, not even a couple months, a couple years, but she was strong through it all and she was just such a beautiful woman and she fought so hard and unfortunately, there are so many wicked people in this world, but we can still remember her through her four beautiful daughters. Well, guys, thanks for listening. As always, the podcast is everywhere. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> the I meant to say Instagram. I'm going to post uh, some pictures on there. Uh, YDWK podcast. Uh, email me YDWK podcast at gmail.com. 
I think that's everything I have to say. Stay spooky, guys. Happy spooky season. I'm so sad it's almost over. Mm, Bye-bye.